Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics, coming up. Political leaders react to the discovery of the bodies of 215 children at the site of a former residential school. It is definitely with heavy hearts here at the Kamloops of Schwetmik, um, you know, that we have this unthinkable loss, you know, that was spoken about but never actually documented by the Kamloops Residential School. So this past weekend, um, you know, with the help of a ground penetrating radar specialist, that stark truth of that, those preliminary findings came to light. Optimism increases about Canada's vaccination program. Many provinces are moving towards second doses. Um, obviously AstraZeneca, people like me who have received AstraZeneca, especially in the earlier months, are eligible for a second dose. AstraZeneca has a 12-week spacing um, requirement. So we're watching all those deadlines closely and managing supply so that we can best get it into arms. And the Foreign Affairs Minister reiterates Canada's support for an investigation into the origins of COVID-19. There are certainly going to be growing questions as we get, you know, everybody's concentration and focus was on you know, trying to get through the pandemic. There appears to be that light at the end of the tunnel approaching. Uh, it is for a lot of people the time to look for answers. It's Monday, May 31st. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. I'm joined by Peter Van Dusen, CPAC's executive producer and the host of Primetime Politics. Peter, thank you for joining us today. Hi, Mark. Good to be with you again. Yesterday, the flag on the Peace Tower in Ottawa was lowered to half-mast to follow on the on the discovery and to, and to honour uh, the children, the 215 children whose bodies were, were found at the site of a former residential school in British Columbia. And, uh, and I know there's been a lot of, of shock and a lot of commentary since this discovery was made. Um, and and it, I can't think of a more powerful illustration of, of, the, the, of what was happening at residential schools uh, going back many years and how significant an event this was in Canadian history. What do you think the reaction and the response to this is going to be on Parliament Hill today and in the days ahead? Well, as you point out, Mark, we've seen some of it with the lowering of the flag to, to half mast on Parliament Hill, and we should also know it in in, uh, you know, in many municipalities across the country as well, and other provinces. The same uh, the same gesture has been taken. You, you know, uh, it's it's horrific. It's been identified as such by so many people responding to it, and you know, I think what it really does in a lot of ways is is push this issue to the forefront. I mean, it's. You know, Canada's treatment of its Indigenous peoples is is gaining more and more um, scrutiny. Uh, Canadians are becoming more and more aware of it. Uh, but for I think for a lot of Canadians, it's it's hard to sort of grasp exactly you know uh, exactly how deep the wrongs uh, may run and uh, you know exactly what's required to remedy the situation. Although we've seen lots of uh, reports, and uh, the the Commission on Reconciliation has given us a, a, a sort of um, um, a roadmap on how to improve the situation. But when you talk about 215 children and their remains found on the grounds of residential school, I think you've suddenly pushed a lot of buttons with more and more Canadians who've suddenly, you know, or who really get this, this, this sense of loss, this sense of, um, you know, uh, mistreatment, uh, this sense of national shame uh, that's attached to this story. I think, you know, pushes people to want to know what happens next and that, and that more needs to be done. So I think politicians in Ottawa are going to be 
uh, talking about that, about the need to move forward. Certainly, Indigenous leaders are, um, uh, are are speaking out on the need for more action more quickly. And uh, you know, when this kind of situation happens, uh, I think there's a, a momentum push behind it uh, to want to do more and and do more and more quickly. And I think you're going to hear lots of discussion about that, including. You know, there were, I think, almost 140 residential schools operated in Canada. And, you know, in this particular school in Kamloops, I think they had an official recorded, you know, death rate or, or death total of Indigenous students there. I think it was 50 over all the years that it operated. And now we know that 215 children were buried on the grounds of that school. How many children are buried on the grounds of other residential schools in Canada? And is there going to be a push to have have those sites examined to see what the answer to that question is? Yeah. All right. We'll watch to see what happens today and in the days ahead. Uh, Let's turn to the coronavirus pandemic and some of the developments on that front. Uh, The Ontario government is introducing a motion today to... Uh, to introduce a new uh, medical officer of health to replace David Williams. It's going to be Dr. Kieran Moore. There has been a, a fair amount of criticism over uh, of, of David Williams uh, during the past year in this role that he has had at this very crucial time. Um, as well, there are new developments about the AstraZeneca vaccine, uh, the the uh, effectively, the expiry date on some of the vaccines is, is going to be pushed back a little bit, allowing provincial governments to use them for longer. Um, but there there seems to be overall, generally speaking, I think, Peter, an optimism about how things are going with the vaccination program at this point. Yeah, I think that's true. Um, and, you know, notwithstanding some, uh, again, we've talked a lot about this, some bumps in the road along the way. There's, you know, the, the, the broader picture of more and more doses will be arriving in Canada over the, the weeks and months ahead. And, you know, we've, uh, we see provinces uh, reopening. We see provinces accelerating now the, the administration of second doses of vaccine. And I wonder if, you know, we're, we're also going to see some other, uh, I mean, the Dr. Williams situation in Ontario is, is interesting. Um, he was supposed to stay until I think it was September. Uh, but now he's going to go at the end of June. There were clearly tensions, um, not just between Dr. Williams and, and the Ford government, but Dr. Williams and other medical experts. And you hear uh, lots of reaction about that, about some concern that Dr. Williams wasn't you know, strong enough in his uh, demand. Um, well, it could, it could go two ways, I guess. Wasn't strong enough in his push on the Ford government to take uh, you know, to to either keep restrictions in place when they were in place to to avoid a third wave, or to uh, you know stomp on uh, on some of those openings and freedoms uh, as the third wave kicked in, that he just wasn't forceful enough to to push for change. But you hear other people say that he was uh, he was part of the, that whole process, that he wasn't firm enough, and maybe his own beliefs and thinking more needed to be done. So, uh, I guess what I'm watching to see is whether as the situation largely improves in most parts of the country whether we see any of these other tensions on display i mean there was a there were a lot of tensions during the quebec response which is now going you know you know in the view of most experts almost seamlessly now quebec is reopening case counts continue to decline but there were there were times when the the, the situation between dr aruda and francois Legault in quebec was not very good either and there were lots of tensions there to the point where the doctor was frozen out of 
news conferences at different times. So I wonder if we're going to see more churn here as the situation improves. Are some key officials that were involved in provincial campaigns going to be moving on? Mm. Great question. Meanwhile, of course, there are uh, there are questions about the origin of this virus to begin with, and I know for a time uh, there was there was kind of a feeling among some people. Like, we didn't need to look into how this all began. Um, Donald Trump, of course, called it the China virus and, and blamed China for uh, the the start of this pandemic. Now the Biden administration is saying it's going to investigate. And, and Mark Garneau, the foreign affairs minister, reiterated the government's position over the weekend that it supports the exploration of how the virus began. Um, what's your sense of of why the Canadian government has decided to to join this query? Well, I, I guess a couple of things. The the uh, you could argue, I think, uh, that there's a certain I don't know if it's a higher level of legitimacy or a higher level of neutrality to it. The fact you know Donald Trump's been demanding questions about the what he referred to as you know Mark all the time as the Chinese virus. Uh, he wanted answers and he wanted investigations and they were going to get on this and so on. But, uh, you know, for a lot of other leaders, uh, you know, uh, you know, the Donald Trump's response was seen in a lot of ways as, uh, as sort of just nasty attacks on China. Well, now it's coming from Joe Biden and there's a, you know, uh, arguably again, and depending on the way things go in the relationship, a, a better relationship between Canada and the, and the Biden administration. So now Joe Biden is, is essentially picking up where Donald Trump left on off saying, look, there needs to be answers about exactly where this came from. Now he's not uh, being certainly as accusatory as Donald Trump was, but there's no doubt it came from and that China orchestrated it and it escaped from a lab and all those things. And Joe Biden wants those same kinds of answers and that same kind of investigation. So uh, perhaps that's part of it, that Canada is attaching more legitimacy uh, to the Biden search for answers and that uh, Canada is willing to be part of that. So I think we watch where this goes. I think, you know, there are certainly going to be growing questions as we get, you know, everybody's concentration and focus was on you know, trying to get through the pandemic as you know, uh, not to be uh, too optimistic, and 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 uh, you know, want to be careful about that. But as there appears to be that light at the end of the tunnel approaching. Uh, it is for a lot of people the time to look for answers. You're going to hear conservatives in the house this week. Uh, they even have a motion uh, uh, that deals in some ways with you know uh, trying to disentangle the demand for answers from China uh, uh, as as a perception of anti-Chinese, uh, you know, racism. Uh, they, they're pushing to say it's okay to debate questions about how this uh, this virus originated without, uh, you know, turning it into an attack on, on the Chinese people. So we're going to hear more of this uh, in the days ahead, the, the, the demands for search for answers and uh, the the dialogue around and the debate around uh, how it originated and, and and that it needs to be okay to start asking those questions. Yeah. All right. We'll see what happens. Peter, thank you very much for joining us today. Okay, Mark. Always a pleasure. Take care. That's CPAC's Peter Van Dusen. We want the federal government to step up. Um, they definitely need to be assisting us. Now, here's what political columnists and commentators are writing about today. In the Globe and Mail, Mary Ellen Turpel Lafon argues the discovery of a mass grave at a former residential school is just the tip of the iceberg. Turpel Lafon writes, 
Many Canadians have expressed their horror, shock, and sadness at the announcement that the unmarked buried remains of 215 children were discovered at the site of the former residential school in British Columbia. And we should be sad. It's horrific. But it is not shocking. In fact, it is the opposite, a too common unearthing of the legacy and enduring reality of colonialism in Canada. To the degree it is shocking, it is evidence of how much learning there is still to do. In an editorial, the Winnipeg Free Press asks where Manitoba's Premier is getting his pandemic advice. The Free Press writes, There are certainly many qualified experts within government, but if Brian Pallister is basing all of his pandemic response decisions on their advice, then why are so many equally qualified experts outside government at odds with those decisions? The Premier has argued that what his government has done represents its best effort. If that's the case, then he must open his ears and mind to the chorus of outside experts who are telling him, in urgent terms, that his best is not good enough. In the Toronto Star, Chantal Hébert asks if there's something wrong with Canada's right. Hébert writes, Canada's provincial conservatives have taken a big hit over the course of the pandemic. The leaders of Alberta, Ontario and Manitoba sit at the bottom of the provincial list. It may be that this is just a difficult period for this conservative trifecta. As their provinces recover from the pandemic, so might the standing of their governments. But what if the dismal scores of those premiers were another symptom of a larger, more systemic malaise within the Canadian right? Now, here's what's coming up on Canada's political agenda. With just roughly three weeks to go in this sitting of Parliament, a government bill just tabled in the Senate is taking on a great deal of importance since it concerns the future of the Senate itself. CPAC's Martin Stringer has more. Mark, it's not just the fact that the sitting is ticking down to the summer recess, but also the fact that there is a real possibility of an election this fall, and possibly Parliament not returning before that election. All of which makes Bill S-4 that the government tabled last week in the Senate an important piece of legislation. It basically would make statutory changes to recognize the new Senate in its new form since the changes brought in by the Trudeau government. That means the new party alignments, funding arrangements and committee structures that have evolved would be based on four Senate groupings. The only government representatives in the Senate would be the three ones designated now. The only traditional party caucus would be the Conservative Party, which has continued to sit as part of a Conservative Parliamentary Caucus. And the other three groups in the Senate, the Independent Senate Group, the Progressive Senate Group, and the Canadian Senate Group would be recognized in a permanent way. The bill is expected to pass relatively quickly through the Senate and then go to the House of Commons. But with only three weeks left, it's far from certain that the House will get around to passing it. So there's a real possibility that if an election were to be held, if the Conservatives were to win, they might follow through on their long-stated intention to try to return the Senate back to its previous, more traditional alignments and structures. So, Mark, an interesting bill to watch for in the next few weeks. Thanks, Martin. Also today, the Prime Minister will be joined by Small Business Minister Mary Ng for an announcement that will be streamed live on the Canada Business Facebook page. A news conference will follow the announcement before the Prime Minister chairs the Cabinet meeting. Deputy Prime Minister Christia Freeland will meet virtually with the Federation of Canadian Municipalities Big City Mayor's Caucus. She will also virtually attend question period and the Cabinet meeting. The Senate Committee on Aboriginal Peoples will hear from Justice Minister David Lametti and Minister of Crown Indigenous Relations Carolyn Bennett as part of their study of Bill C-15, an act centering on the United Nations Declaration 
on the rights of Indigenous peoples. Innovation Minister François-Philippe Champagne will take part in a virtual event to launch a new partnership between the Government of Canada and the Canadian cement and concrete sector. And Small Business Minister Mary Ng will make an announcement about the Black Entrepreneurship Program. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Monday, May 31st. Tune into Primetime Politics tonight on CPAC for coverage of all the day's events. Our podcast returns tomorrow morning. Have a great day.